0: It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while you're commuting or driving to farms. Here you have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket.
1: Most of your production models or your expected growth performance slash feed conversion is really dictated by your ability to get the right feed in the right place at the right time, not overfeeding it, not underfeeding it, or even worse,
0: not feeding it. Swine It podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Just always one step ahead in Swine Feeding, Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool, NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions, Zimpro, Essential Trace Minerals, exceptional performance, and Genesis, the first power in genetics. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcia Monsalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Gestal. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestal manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system. Designed by pork producers, for pork producers, they are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24-7, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. Gestal always one step ahead in swine feeding. Hello everyone, today we are hosting Dr. Kyle Kobo and we'll get his thoughts on the importance of feed execution and how a production nutritionist value it. How are you today, Kyle? I'm doing well, Marcio. Thank you. Thank you again for your time. And uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, As always, uh, we'd like to start with, uh, you know, your background. How did you get involved with pigs? And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, I grew up in south-central Kansas, a small town called Arkansas City, Kansas, about 12,000 people, right on the Kansas-Oklahoma border. And in that part of the country, it's very much an agricultural uh, part of the state of Kansas where we have a lot of cattle, a lot of wheat. Um, More and more each year, it seems like they're getting corn. And I grew up the grandson of a veterinarian. Uh, My grandfather had partial interest in a feedlot, and from a young age really instilled in me the importance of responsibility through managing livestock. And growing up, I raised and showed 4-H pigs, uh, was very much involved in, in the showing of livestock. And it's a little bit like the gateway drug that a lot of us in the swine industry today really got introduced to pigs. Right. So I went to college uh started in 2006 and went to Oklahoma State University and like many i too thought that i wanted to grow up and walk in the steps of my grandfather and be a veterinarian but i quickly realized that a lot of people wanted to do that and and really where my goals and my interest and my passion was was connecting the farmer to the animal um and nutrition seemed like a very very logical step for that and and saw much more opportunity to widen my horizons through a nutrition background versus uh, solely a vet medicine. Got a degree in animal science there in 2010, and during my time there at Oklahoma State, I was introduced by uh, to what I would consider one of my lifelong mentors, Kim Brock, who hired me to live at the swine farm. And I was involved with everything from the breeding to power washing, hosting classes for judging kids, lots of different things that that farm hosted its responsibilities for. And one of those things was working as a student labor for Dr. Scott Carter and his swine research team there. And they did a lot of things with nutrient excretion, some mass balance studies, a lot of things in air emissions. I believe uh, they have a, a room that would be similar to what Purdue University would have for their uh, nutrient excretion and environmental impact barn. So upon my graduation there, I, I had a couple of different opportunities, and one was actually to buy cattle for Cargill, mm. and um, looked into that. And Dr. Carter called me and said, "You know, I, I you should you should look into getting a master's in nutrition. You have a lot of a lot of interest in this." And so I said, "Okay," um, and I started my master's there and worked on the environmental impacts of paline, and a couple of different probiotic uh, strategies and additives for uh, lactating sows, and then also worked on some of the iodine value uh, prediction stuff uh, as far as DDGs or corn oils impact. And as I started to get ready to finish my master's in 2012, I, I quickly realized that I didn't quite know as much as I thought I did and whenever i was at midwest animal science i saw all of these students wearing purple (laughs) and kansas state university just had such a profound present uh presence at at either midwest or the national animal science meetings and i thought to myself you know if i want to do the best that i possibly can i probably need to figure out some way to get involved with those folks and and see how i can be a part of that team So I was lucky enough to get into the swine nutrition group there at Kansas State University to start my Ph.D., and uh, from 2012 to 2015, um, I was under Dr. Joel Derushi and Dr. Mike Tokash, even though I did a large portion of my work with Dr. Dreatz. You know, Marcio, (laughs) very well, for your listeners, when you go to Kansas State University, you're really mentored and raised by, by a community. Uh, you have lots of mentors right. that are coming to your life. During my time at uh, Kansas State University, I worked on uh, predominantly looking at different copper feeding strategies and also looking at different fiber withdrawal strategies, as well as some linear programming and some modeling with pig flow. And quickly upon my arrival to Kansas State University, um, I was searching for some other income and some other opportunities to uh, really learn more about production, uh, swine, swine production. And Dr. Joel Darushi got me uh, connected with Dr. Chad Hasted at New Fashion Pork, and I quickly became, became involved and oversaw the research uh, for New Fashioned Pork during my entire three years at Kansas State University. And that ultimately led into my first full-time job. I moved to Jackson, Minnesota and worked for Brad, Dr. Brad Frecking and Dr. Chad Hestad for, for near, nearly three years after my graduation. There I was responsible for pig flow, marketing, research, uh, nursery nutrition formulation. And I also uh, was in charge of one part of our production called Old Fashioned Pork that was really targeted towards GAP or um, very intensive, involved, animal welfare-focused production that serviced Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. And um, had a great, great time at New Fashion Pork. I learned a lot about the value of a dollar, the value of people, and the value of doing things right. Um, Very, very great company, and I was very fortunate to be able to have touched lots of different aspects of the business, and, and have control of those, and I'm, I'll be forever grateful that. And that led into my current role um, as the director of nutritional services for JBS Live Pork. Um, I started here in February of 2018, and my responsibilities here are to oversee really anything that touches feed or that feed touches. So I'm responsible for all of the feed mills the the research that we do i work very closely with the plant on on meat quality and nutrition or genetics focus and how it can impact that as well as uh the research and formulation and then i work with the merchandising team on on different ingredients um i have a team of five who um who help me get all of this done and, and many many more important folks that would work for them who really are the the heartbeat of this company? I also would have the feed desk would also be a portion of that, and that's today's topic is is really how we've focused on feed execution here at JBS and and how it's important. Um, one of my very most important uh, co-workers is uh, Miss Mandy Gearhart. She uh, was also has some K State blood in her, and she is really a great coworker. Very, very much a huge asset to our business, a very good nutritionist. And her and I take feed execution very seriously. Um, and it's really what we spend the focus of our day on. So that's a little bit about me.
0: Very cool. Thanks so much, Kyle. And um, yeah, really appreciate all the background because uh, I knew I knew a good chunk of it. But it's always good uh, to hear from the beginning and also for our audience to to learn more about you as well. And um, yeah, Mandy, Mandy, I would uh, echo that as well. Great uh, lady and um, great team right there. Cool. Uh, Kyle, you had a great link right there on uh, fit execution, right? So first of all, can you define uh feed execution for us?
1: Yeah. So for me, it, it's, it's quite simple. We have this phrase written or labeled or taped to the wall throughout our business. And it's the act of getting the right feed to the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And we would say that while you think as a production nutritionist being completely focused on formulation, really about 80% of our time is spent on on feed execution while only about 20% or sometimes maybe even 10% (laughs) is really focused on the act of truly formulating rations.
0: Right. Very nice. And uh, what is the importance of it? And also, what are the biggest challenges you see on a day-to-day basis related to feed execution? The importance of it is, is that most of your production
1: models or your expected growth performance slash feed conversion is really dictated by your ability to get the right feed in the right place at the right time, not overfeeding it, not underfeeding it, or even worse, not feeding it. Uh, You know, late feed deliveries, out-of-feed events. um, There's lots of things that can impact that. And so the importance of getting the feed there in the right way, in the right kind of feed, really is how closely related your true performance is to your expected performance so as a production nutritionist your it's heavily scrutinized on your cost and your performance and when you go to budget how much feed cost you are going to have per head that's based on actively getting your budgets executed to 100% and so any deviation from that is going to be a cost so the biggest challenge that, we, that I see today is as we look across the Midwest and our corn belt, for us, it's really about manpower. Um, trucking and really high quality feed truck operators are very, very hard to find. Um, there, there was a shortage uh, for the last few years and that shortage is continuing to eat, increase really month by month, and I am in the camp that we're going to have to uh, allocate more monetary support to these drivers uh, because they are the link between the feed mill and the production system, and the nutrition department really serves as a service to production, and so we want our growers to not have hiccups in feed ordering, not have hiccups in getting feed into the barn. So trucking is is probably one of the biggest issues. The second issue would be the constraints of your system. And what I mean by that is a lot of people have it in their mind and focused that if your batch at the feed mill is based on three tons because you have a three ton mixer, then everything has to be in three tons. And when you're feeding, let's say a high highly expensive, uh, highly fortified nursery diet that's $700 a ton or $600 a ton. If you overfeed that by any quantity or any amount and the pigs do not need it, then there's a cost associated, which is the difference between the phase one and the phase two diet. So if it's $100 per ton, put that on a per pound basis and then divide that by your allocation per pig. And that's the cost of overfeeding that budget. So we try to look at the feed mill and say, yes, our batches are in three ton, but maybe we have enough loadout bins that we can make a larger amount of that so we get good mixes. But oftentimes it's much cheaper to send a truck out with, say, only um, 4,000 pounds of your N1 versus 6,000. Even though that compartment will hold three ton, it's just one diet. And then it's really what level of, of inaccuracy you're okay with right. of under or overfeeding. You're always going to under or overfeed it to some degree, but it's understanding of what level you're okay with. The last challenge would be is producers ordering feed on time. So we, Uh, focus on that. We have a new program that we're using, uh, FAS, Feed Allocation System. It's a product uh, and program made by Prairie Systems, and it really helps when a bin goes empty and shutting the slide on one bin and opening it on another. Make sure that we don't get blending of medication, blending of phases. You're going to have some blending in the feeder, but making sure that those bins get emptied when they should be. Uh, Feed is not sitting in there in the bin too long. You're not having uh any type of water issues because maybe feed didn't want to flow out of one bin so you decide to just leave it there and then six months later they finally decide to clean it out all of those things kind of add up into what we would call successful feed execution
0: amazing very very nice and you touched a little bit on the value of some of the the feed execution um kyle um and if you translate that on a per pig basis, or do you have uh, some measurements of that today
1: yeah, so in in my experience, there's probably as much value as a dollar to a dollar fifty a head, sometimes even two dollars a pig in feed cost in just accuracy. so if it cost you sixty five dollars a head to feed it to market, um there's probably somewhere between Two and a half or three uh, percent improvement in that cost by just not overfeeding the allocations, um, only giving the pig exactly what he needs. So that value difference is going to be between the cost of what you overfed minus the cost of the feed that you should have fed divided by your allocation to put it on a per divided by 2000 to put it on a per pound basis and then multiply that by your allocation. And that puts it on a per head basis. And, you know, depending on which system you're looking at, some are certainly better than others, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if, if a lot of groups were three to 5% off of budget one way or the other, that's a very realistic number.
0: Got it. Very nice. Um, Changing gears a little bit and um, looking more at the big picture, uh, Kyle, how do you suggest folks to structure a nutrition department and, and what kind of people you need to help uh, on that regard? I, I, Chad did
1: one time told me it's always the people, it's never the pigs. And how true that has been. Uh-huh. Um, I'm very fortunate to be blessed with a team that understands the goal, and when I started this venture, uh, JBS Liveport did not have a nutrition department, and a lot of people on my team were not in their current roles, and the way that we structured this department was really giving people uh, the opportunity and empowering them to make decisions, and getting people that buy into the goal, that understand the goal, and giving them the opportunity and the power to make decisions on their own that benefit the business is extremely rewarding for me. And I think it's extremely rewarding for JBS. We're very, very much a family oriented, culture driven company. Uh, but we also have a very, uh, very passionate and a very aggressive focus on improvement and, and excellence, not just for ourselves, but our customers as well. So my team, when we sat down and decided what the structure of this was going to look like, we gave everybody a piece of the pie and we gave them some opportunity to practice ownership, which is one of our big values within JBS that that we take very very seriously. So on my team, David Barnhouse, Angela Donnelly, Mandy Gerhardt, Brittany Karinder and Max Kapitanovich all touch various portions of this feed execution, and that's the number one thing that we do each day. But we we cut up the pie. We allow people to take ownership. We hold each other accountable. We have KPIs and benchmarks around that. We're constantly looking at those things to make sure we're driving in the right direction. And then we're explaining and teaching to our teams how this saves us money. How does this improve our profitability of the company? And I think many times where we don't do a very good job of explaining to the people in our business who are actually getting the work done, how they drive the bottom line. And with feed execution, the math is very simple. The objective seems very, very simple, but sometimes it's very, very hard to get it done. But my team very much understands the value of getting it right. And I think that's the most important thing.
0: Very nice, Kyle. And how do you get the production staff on board with feed ex- execution?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Marcio. That's another reason why I feel very blessed to be here at JBS. And certainly there's some, some uh, experiences you may have heard of or we all are familiar with where maybe the veterinarians and the nutritionists don't see eye to eye or the production team. And when people are not rowing towards the common goal, sometimes you can be a little misaligned and be off center. And in our system, we're all focused towards a common goal of profitability or the percentage of good market pigs that make it to the plant. And the underlying factor that gets this accomplished is communication. Um, so through some education for our, to our production team, our nutrition team was able to express and teach the importance of getting feed delivered right and also the importance of growers and our production contract growers and families that work with us no matter what kind of farm they have teaching them and letting them understand why ordering feed correctly is so important so the communication was key the first thing that we did when we launched our new feed ordering system um, we had it out there for a few months, got everybody familiar with it, and then we went and created our own booklet of how we wanted the production team to do it or have their growers do it. And then we did mandatory trainings for all the growers. So we have over 700 contract growers.
0: Wow. And
1: David Barnhouse went out and gave classes with our published book on exactly how to download the app, how to put the app into into work, how to order feed, what this means, and we refined the process a few months after launch, so we knew exactly what we wanted. And then the second thing is communicating where the mill is currently at with deliveries and also the weather. So we all know that this February in the Midwest was very, very cold, very, very treacherous time, lots of -of out-of-feed events, um, lots of loads that weren't able to make it out the door. And in, in every production system in Iowa and, and the Midwest and the Corn Belt experienced that this year. It was a very, very tough winter. And what I have every feed mill, whether it's a toll mill or an internal mill, is twice a day they send me a, uh, an update. And it's not just me. It goes out to any field manager that would pull feed out of that mill. It goes to the production manager and all of the trucking companies. And it's very simple. It says, how many loads have we hauled today? How many do we have left? Were there any same-day feed orders? Uh, And if so, which producers were they? And were there any uh, out-of-feed events? And if so, which producers were they? And then what that does is it notifies the field manager that, hey, one of your producers had an out-of-feed event or a same-day feed order. And so our production staff is extremely diligent of acting upon those emails twice a day. They come at eight in the morning and four in the afternoon on the dot. And when they see that, if they have one of their producers, they'll pick that phone up and they'll utilize that opportunity as a coaching moment in order to say, you know, Mr. Smith, why did you have an out of feed event? Well, we had the Iowa State Fair this weekend. I thought I had more feed there than, than I did. Um, and I wasn't running my bins in tandem. Okay, Mr. Smith, we really need to work on this in FAS, there's a a mobile report that actually shows you how much feed you might have on on site based on current consumption curves, and it should give you an an indication of when you needed to order feed. And so that open communication between the production team and the mill is really maximized through that email. And that's been a really good opportunity for us. And We don't have to call and check up on the field manager and and see if he's doing that. Um, We just continue to have a decline of out of feed events that really are shown uh, by the production teams really uh, keen focus on, on that delivery aspect. So it's getting them to know where the mill is at on delivery. Are they ahead of schedule? Are they behind on schedule? And what kind of inclement weather would be showing up that would inhibit some of those things to happen on time, which we've all been a part of
0: very nice a lot of uh, golden nuggets right there Kyle I love uh, I love when we get to to learn a lot of uh, very tactical things that that uh, a lot of our our listeners can implement uh, same day or next day I love it anything else uh, on fit execution before we move to the three questions we ask every guest Kyle I think that about does it cool since 1971 Zimpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zimpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to Zimpro.com. It is time to our FAMOUS 3. What is your favorite swine related book, Kyle?
1: Well, my favorite one is the second edition, Swine Nutrition, written by Austin Lewis and Lee Southern. And I think that that book, it, it read other literature, that while that book may be getting a little bit dated uh, here in our time, uh, it serves very, very good purposes to give you a not a simple answer but a simplistic answer that i think is a very good and quick reference i encourage anybody who's uh, looking at doing nutrition for a living that's probably a good one to keep in your in your suitcase
0: very nice the the blue cover the blue book (laughs) very cool um what is your favorite book unrelated to pigs
1: well i try to to read a lot of books. Um, Currently, I've been reading some on business acumen and leadership and leadership styles. But a book that I like that Dr. Turner, uh, my boss, who I just thoroughly enjoy working for and working with, he's just a great individual, a great man, but a great person. Um, At our fall meeting last year, gave a lot of us in production Uh, on the production team, a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and she's a psychologist who has an interesting background, but it really looks at and analyzes and studies uh, the the ability of a person to persevere, to push through the hard work, uh, to be successful when the odds are against you, and she defines that by a measure of a person's grit, Uh, Their ability to hunker down and get stuff done and persevere in in the face of hardship. And I think that's so much what explains and very relatable to what we do in agriculture that a lot of times the markets markets are against us. The weather's against us. uh, Health is against us.
0: Very good. I love it. Uh, Heard about that book. Haven't read it yet. Uh, Very nice, Kyle. And on the next question, what separates successful swine professionals from those that are not, in your opinion?
1: I think it comes back to your ability to communicate. Wayne Cast always says, I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I bet I have somebody's phone number who is the smartest person about that topic. And I've always thought that that was extremely insightful because I think networking and your ability to make friends, your ability to make contacts and colleagues and working friendships, the people that I have come across in my life, uh, will always continue to help you. And I think to be successful, you have to be humble and you have to be realistic with what your abilities are. Always push yourselves. I think that's the one thing that really separates successful in any industry is just their ability to communicate and create lasting relationships because we all help each other. We didn't get to where we are by ourselves. And we won't get to where we're going without ourselves without uh by ourselves and so i think it's just communication is
0: key very very cool kyle very profound and and uh makes uh total sense uh being resourceful and uh that's that's the ultimate skill absolutely very nice well uh kyle thanks again for our time uh, really appreciate that and uh and we'll be in touch Thank you very much, Marcio. Have a good day. Thank you.